As a business and leadership mentor, wife, and mom, I know that building a legacy business as a high-performing female entrepreneur can be overwhelming when you play many demanding roles in your life. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can be a powerful, high performer in your career, plus enjoy a fulfilling marriage and be a great mom all at the same time. Join me and my guests every week to get the inside scoop on what it really looks like to build a high growth business while living a life truly aligned with your family and personal values. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I have the magnificent, incredible Darnielle on the show. What's up, Darnielle? Hey, I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited you're here because we have so many friends and colleagues in common, but this is the very first time that you and I have met face-to-face or Zoom-to-Zoom and had a deep dive conversation. So we're going to see where this thing goes. Yes, I'm excited for it. It's going to be awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, tell everyone a little bit about you, your business, what you do, who you work with, and maybe go ahead and fill in like the backstory. Everyone loves the story of your come up. So take us back and, and let us know who you are. Absolutely. So I would always introduce myself by saying, first and foremost, I'm a guy girl and I'm unapologetic about it. Um, And that's probably the most important thing that I share with anybody about me, because if you understood my past, you would understand my praise. So I am the product of drug drug addicted parents born in the projects of Wilmington, Delaware. My mom went to jail when I was eight, went to live with my father, who was a functional addict my entire life. And my stepmother who let it be known as often as she could that she wished we were not there. So imagine growing into your figuring out who you are in an environment where you weren't wanted. Yeah, that's me. That's my life. I also made some very clear decisions very early in in my life, starting with the age of 10, when my very favorite teacher, Mrs. Dixon, gave me my first journal and taught me about the power of the words that I speak and say over myself. So at 10, I decided that my purpose was going to be to use words to change the lives of other people. I went on in high school to get a perfect, perfect, why can't I talk today? A perfect (laughs) verbal SAT score. Like wow. how many they did that. What I love words and I love using words to help people change their life. Went to college on a full scholarship, started in corporate America right after graduating and within three years became a vice president. 12 years into my corporate career, I had what I call my Keith Sweat moment. Something just wasn't right. And I walked out of my job without a plan. While I tried to figure it out, I did Mary Kay Cosmetics full-time. I won two pink Cadillacs, offspring five sales directors and built my unit to 500 people. And then it hit me. I called it my Britney Spears moment. Oops, I did it again. I traded one desk for another. And it was then that I decided that I was going to start the company I run today, Incredible One Enterprises. Our first iteration, I was a motivational speaker at best. I was broke, busted, and disgusted. If I'm being honest, I filed bankruptcy, ended up going back to work, had my car repossessed twice, and ate ramen noodles and peanut butter and jelly for the first 18 months of that job, that business being in existence. When I took the job, I took a step back and decided that I was going to learn what I didn't know about ground up business because I thought it was going to be exactly the same as it was to take a Mary Kay business and skyrocket that thing. It wasn't. And so I learned what I didn't know in January 1st, 2011. I came back into full-time entrepreneurship, but this time I was unemployable. 
I knew that I could do it. I could build a business that would serve me financially and spiritually. Within three years, we crossed the million dollar mark. And now we are taking other entrepreneurs and small business owners with us. So I'm excited to be here and I'm looking forward to this amazing conversation. Well, I'm excited that you're here. Okay. I have so many questions that I wish I had written down the 42 questions that just popped up in my mind to ask you after your intro. Let's start here. So, you know, all of us grow up with like our own dysfunction, right? Like you have your dysfunction. I had mine. Everybody has their own and there are varying degrees of dysfunction, right? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, yours is, I would say, is probably on the severe side of yes. what most people go through. And, and yet here you are. And yet here you are today. Yeah. And as you've gone through all these different phases of career, the network marketing business, direct sales business, the business that you have today, you're running a team, you're now teaching other people to make millions. At every single one of those stages, can you just reflect a little bit on did any of your like trauma or upbringing or limiting beliefs or mindset, whether it was around money or abandonment or being rejected, does that... Did that always come up for you? Like at every new level you got to, does it still come up for you today? Because I think some, and the reason why I'm asking you this question, I'm sure you hear your clients say this too. Oftentimes we'll hear somebody say, I went to therapy for that 10 years ago. I thought I dealt with it. Why is it coming back now? And usually it's coming back like right as you're breaking through to another level that you've never mm -hmm. been. So can you just share a little bit of reflection on what that has looked like in your own life and business? Absolutely. And all of it, everything you said. Um abandonment, rejection, constantly questioning. I'm also on top of everything I said to you, I'm the middle child. Middle children are invisible. We do not exist. All the attention is put on the oldest and trying to keep them out of trouble and coddling the youngest. Anyone in the middle is kind of lost in the sauce. And so all of that, it was literally, if it was to be, it was up to me. Right. And so constantly questioning my existence and should I be here at every level? We're right now on a trajectory to take our business to eight figures and all the all the stuff comes up. And I've been in therapy since I was 19. No, 18. I remember going to college at the University of Delaware. I was blessed to go on a full scholarship because of my academic prowess. And as soon as I got there and they said I could see a therapist, I started seeing a therapist because I knew I was jacked up. <laughs> <laughs> It was no question and I was not trying to pretend as if, and it's not as severe as it once was. I, today I can catch it, Megan. Like mm -hmm. I can tell myself, I can see that I'm sputtering and then I can do my own pattern interrupt and get myself back on track. Yeah, And that comes through having done all of the work. And so it was, you know, money mindset. I was raised in an environment where there was never enough money and we were reminded of it on the daily. My dad was constantly saying either money doesn't grow on a tree out back. You've got to work hard for it. Or who do you think you are? You don't deserve that. Like those are the things that I heard. And the tape would play and play and play. And even when I got to corporate America and became a vice president inside of three years and all of a sudden overnight had a six figure salary, I still treated money like it was this elusive thing. I never really learned and came into it. Not until I filed bankruptcy and I was forced, forced a gift from God in the universe to learn and become financially literate. That was when it really changed for me. And so, yes, at every level, there is a new devil. And it's usually an old devil that is trying to up-level you. <laughs> like, hmm. and, and so, yeah, it, it always comes up, but 
it gets easier once you become aware and cognizant to it and you are given some tools and some skills of how to manage and navigate it, it it doesn't last nearly as long. My pity parties are like 10 minutes now. I still have the moment because I think it's important to feel the emotion and allow the human side of you to show up. Because if you're constantly squelching your human down, then eventually you become unfeeling and unemotional. And that means you're not emotionally intelligent, which means you can't really add value and lead other people. And so I allow myself the opportunity to feel and say and do whatever it needs to be done. But it's a moment, not a day. You know, it's not an occurrence. It's, or or it's not an event, it's an occurrence. And that has made a big difference for me. And I think the thing that comes up the most now is we're going to eight figures. It isn't what you would think. I, I always thought that it would be, am I enough? No, I'm very clear. I'm the best thing since pockets. If if I come into your life, your whole life will change. I'm very clear on that. What comes up the most now is how will I actually do that at the next level and still maintain what I'm very excited about today? Like, because I feel like, you know, the the higher you go, the more is going to be required of you. And I don't want more to necessarily be required of me. I want to continue to maintain at the level where I am now in terms of my happiness, my self-care, all of those things. I want them. I don't want to give that up. I'm not willing to chance that to go to the next level. And so I find myself constantly fighting with that. And I usually win because I stop thinking about self. You know, I believe that imposter syndrome shows up when you're being selfish. I think that if you make it about other people, there will never be an imposter because any and everybody can help. And so whenever I start to feel this way, I turn it and I'm like, okay, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for them. And and in my book, Move to Millions, which will be out this fall, I talk about that. The number one thing to do when you are in that messy millions middle and you're feeling that imposter is to reconnect to why you're doing it because your why is always bigger than you. And so I find myself doing that when I have those moments and the limiting beliefs are coming up pops me right out of it. It gets me right back on track. Yeah. So what you're talking about, you know, your company's at multiple seven figures, you're on track to go to eight and you're only willing to do it if, and when, I mean, obviously you will do it and you're not going to sacrifice, you know, spending time in the categories that are life-giving to you. Absolutely. Now this is an area I want to, I want you to touch on this topic because this is a really sticky, messy place for a lot of people in business. And I think we see it, you know, I think we see it actually before people even get to a million. I think I really started noticing it in clients when they would reach about 500 K because you can get to about 500 K like pretty solo with a VA. Like you can, like you can can honestly get to the million dollar mark with just a VA. I don't advocate for that, but you can technically do it. But yeah, it starts to get really, really wonky. I would say for our clients, most of our clients really start to get the itch around 300,000. That's when we see it. And they're like, okay, I'm working way too hard. This money is great, but it's not really that great because I don't have time for anything else. How does it begin to flip? And that's when everything starts to get called into question. I call it, I call the millions messy middle, the chaotic corridor between a quarter of a million and the million dollar mark. When everything you think and believe is called into question and you start to question whether or not that is in fact the truth. Mm-hmm. everything we were taught is challenged when we're going for the next milestone. And the thing is, we're always in the middle. It's all, We're always in the middle, right? The, and the middle is a passageway to your next level. And once you understand how to see it that way, then things begin to change, but they need tools in order to navigate successfully. And one of those tools is absolutely 
their leadership abilities, their emotional intelligence and building out a team. Because yes, you can technically do it by yourself with a VA, but the quality of life is only going to go downhill as the number accelerates if you don't get a handle on it and start building out that team. Yeah. And that's where people really start to recognize like, whoa, the way I built this and the way I led myself to get here, it's not going to work. I can't lead my team in the exact same way that I got here. Because a lot of people are getting, like a lot of people are getting there flying by the seat of their pants, like just, just you know, following their intuition every single day, just making decisions based on the day. And you can get to, you can get to a million, a little bit more than a million that way. Yeah. And I've had conversations with, cause I tend to work with a lot of people's team members as well. And one of the things that they'll say to me is the founder, the CEO is trying to train me based on how they built everything, but the way they built it isn't actually sustainable. Right. <laughs> right. So I'd be, I'm curious to hear, did anything come up for you once you had some team in place, whether it was like three, five, six, seven people, did you still notice yourself with the tendency to jump in and be too involved with some of the day-to-day or too involved with operations or too involved with like checking up on your team? Because I see that a lot with people who are at low millions mm-hmm. and they're starting to say, I can't be in my creative zone anymore. I'm not having fun anymore. Do I even want to double or triple this thing? If it's going to be like this, I don't want to do it because it's totally taken them out of really growing the asset of the business and being the visionary and casting the vision, but they feel so stuck in with their team. It's like, how do they break out of that? I'd love to hear like, what was your experience when you got to that point in your own business? Cause I'm sure you went through it too. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, and anybody who tells you that they didn't, they're lying. Right. So it's, I, and I graduated from, if you want something done right, do it yourself university, right? Yes. I think I was a magna cum laude, like valedictorian doing all the things, right? I was student body president, everything. And so when I first started building team, I would tell them what I wanted them to do. They wouldn't do it fast enough. So I would just go and do it. And so I realized that I wasn't actually empowering them, right? I was crippling them. It took working with my own coaches at that level to realize that I'm actually To lead is not to do. It's crazy, right? But to lead is not to do. And you have to let them do it and give them the course correction if they do it wrong instead of just jumping in to do it. Because otherwise you will have team members who resent you, who won't show up fully for you and who will, if given the the choice between their own interests and yours, will choose theirs. But if you create a process. You need an an onboarding, hiring infrastructure with systems and and all of the policies and procedures that go along with it to onboard them. Like we teach our clients the first 90 days, every single day needs to be accounted for. What they're doing, what they're learning, part self-study, part shadowing, part actually getting in there and doing it and sometimes doing it wrong. And then you being available for the course correction and providing the feedback throughout the process. And so similarly, I had to do that. Now, There are times in my company, so I've got eight full-time people and then a host of contractors. I might be too laissez-faire, but I'm building my company to sustain without me. So I don't have to be present in order for us to make money, for us to serve our clients, for us to be able to do anything. I don't need to be here. A big part of, for me, where I am right now is the visibility to truly deepen my thought leadership That means I can't be sitting behind the computer. That means I can't be on the Zoom calls with the clients. It means I need to be in the rooms because some checks are only going to be written based on the relationships that you have. And you can only build those relationships if they see you. 
And so I've had to be very, very strategic in how I'm building out my team and who I've hired to be able to manage the day-to-day and to manage everything. So I'm slowly but surely taking everything off my plate so that the only thing I am is the creative talent over this business, but someone else is responsible for overseeing every single thing that needs to be done. It sounds really simple, but it is sometimes really challenging, especially because we also want to hire before we're ready. Because I believe this, Megan, I believe that once the vision has been set and once the desire is placed in you to get your business to 10 million, if that's what we're talking about, it's there because God placed it there. Like you didn't come up with it on your own. God desires that for you. The word desire in Latin means of the father. So that means that's God's desire for you. And in order for you to realize the desire, there has to be preparation. I believe that God will not send the rain until you're prepared, till your fields have been prepared. And so sometimes that means that you have to, in faith, hire and increase your payroll before you even know how you're going to pay payroll, (laughs) because God is not going to say, he will not send the rain if you are going to buckle under the pressure of the rain, because he gets no glory if you go without. And that is contrary to his purposes for you. And so that is very scary to those of us who are logical left brain people that are like, no, I got to do one, one plus one equals two always not one plus one equals 11. Like if we're one plus one equals two people and we don't have the infrastructure to support it, the millions messy middle or the whatever middle is going to get more messy because we want to be there, but we're not ready to be there. And it is painful to be in the middle, knowing you're supposed to be here, but still here because you haven't in obedience done the work you need to do to build the team to support you to get here. And so sometimes that's a lot of what has to happen. And so I went through that myself, got myself together, got myself ready, got the team building out. We're actually right now about to hire three more positions that are in the future that we probably shouldn't even be thinking about, but I know we need them if we're getting to 10 figures. So we're going to hire them before that we're actually ready for them so that we can actually walk into the milestone we want to hit. Was there a point in time where you actually had to slow down in the building of this in order to speed up? Because that's something else that we will say to ourselves is, I don't want to slow down. I don't want to slow down. And especially as the visionary, oftentimes visionaries, you see so far into the future and you just want to be there now. And just like you said, you do work really, really fast. And sometimes you feel like my team is working so slow. They want to put these, like you said, like SOPs, procedures, processes, training all in place. And to a lot of visionaries, they literally will say, I'm not slowing down in order to speed up. What was your process like? Did you have to Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we had to change everything and we're constantly refining and streamlining. I literally just, before we jumped on this podcast recording, was having a call with the coaches on my team and we're talking about streamlining again. Like you always have to be willing to refine. And this is what I want people to understand. Scaling is not fast. Scaling is multiplication and duplication. It is refinement. That is how you scale is by refining and then multiplying. But everybody thinks it's like the rocket Trying to scale the rocket means you will break your business. It will not be sustainable. You will get there, but you will look back a year, two years from now, and you won't even have a business. And so absolutely, like part of the reason we started hiring some of the members of the team we hired is because of everything you said. I'm a visionary. I'm go, go, go. I don't know if you know Kobe, but I'm a nine quick start. That means I... I'm always thinking of a new master plan and ready to implement it at will. My team, they're all fact-finding follow-throughs, which I need so that the things actually get done. 
And so it's so easy to just want to put the foot on the gas. But I think our biggest growth has come through simplifying and streamlining and slowing down. And I would tell anyone who asked me, simplify if you want to multiply. It's the easiest thing to do. Go from a lot of offers to one offer right? Go go from a lot of big processes to really what are the most important processes that you need to have that impact the day-to-day. Go from a lot of people on your team that are doing things that are just arbitrary to everybody being crystal clear about the one function that they're responsible for and get a lot of people responsible in doing well at one thing so that the collective can skyrocket the results. Yeah. Amen to that. <laughs> Amen. Here's the other thing. We've used the word vision and visionary a lot Mm -hmm. in order for your team to move the needle forward and actually bring the vision into fruition. They have to have access to your vision. They do. Is that something that you've ever not been clear on? Have you ever noticed a season in your business where your team didn't really have the direction that they needed? Because that's another sticking point that I do see with people who are building teams is oftentimes the vision. And I I did work for a visionary for four years. I worked for a really large scale coaching company. I was the second in command. Mm -hmm. And I remember there were times because I was an integrator, implementer, operator. And I remember there were moments when I would have a conversation with the executive assistant and we would be like, we just need your vision. Like we just need the, the founder's vision. Then get out of our way. Like get out of our hair, get out of our way. We don't need you to keep telling us anything, but until you give us the vision yeah. and we extrapolate that from you, then we can actually go make your vision happen and probably make it even better. But we've yeah. got to have that vision. Yeah. It- I, I have not struggled with downloading the vision into the team because I know the importance of it. Right. And you know, the Bible says without vision, the people will perish you know, without vision, your team is going to be chaotic at best. And yeah. so I probably over-communicate the vision. There are times when the vision is fuzzy and I'm transparent and vulnerable with my team to tell them that too. And to give them permission to help me to, to you know, tighten my lenses or whatever needs to do to make it come into focus. Um, because I think that when you do that, you empower and equip your team, you let them know that they, they are valuable and they matter and they'll be willing to go to bat. Like I'm one thing I'm really proud to say is that everyone who is on our team, they operate every single day, like it's their company. And I'm totally okay with that because if they own the role that they play, then I know that I never have to worry about what's going to happen inside of the infrastructure. And I believe a big reason why we have been able to do that is because I, I do not keep it to myself every single week. You know, we have our all hands meeting and I am downloading and digesting every quarter. We do a quarter, like quarterly wrap up SWOT analysis, prepare for the next quarter. So we're, I'm constantly over communicating the vision and what it is that we're doing and what we're working on so that they can find themselves inside of the vision. And that's an important part of it too, because if your vision is selfish and isolating, which is easy for that to become when you are the visionary, it's your baby, you know, all of that, then people can't, the people on your team can't find themselves in the vision. And that's how we get this silent quitting, yeah. right? That's how we get this disengagement and people not showing up fully in order to increase the result. I think the other thing that's really helped us as I've downloaded that vision is just keeping in mind that people support what they help to create. Mm-hmm. And so even once I share, it's always a discussion. It's never a dictatorship. This is the way it's going to be. This is the idea that I have. This is where I see I'm going. see us going. What would you add to that? How will we know we're on track to get there and getting that buy-in from every single person? Because if they buy in, then they'll show up fully the entire time that we're going through the process. How have you developed a sense of trust 
among your team members, among the team themselves, and then between you and your team members? Oh, What's worked really question. well for you? Yeah. So two things that we've done. So we we do uh, an annual retreat together and we all like we rent a big house and we all stay in the same space. You don't, that, what's the saying? You don't know a person until you live with them. So oh, even yeah. if it's just for three days, so that's something that really breaks that down. Um, and on our team meetings every single week, well, we have three or four different meetings. So we have a daily huddle. So just a quick meeting every single day, you know, this is do what I'm leave that? Do you I leave don't, huddle? our ops manager leads it. Okay. Yeah. I was able to take that off my plate. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Um, so, but they have their daily huddle. You know, this is what I'm grateful for today. This is what I'm working on. This is what I need help with. This is what I'll check in about tomorrow. So they, we do that. We have our um, weekly all hands meeting. Then we have a marketing and sales meeting. And then we have a coaches meeting. So each department is is individually doing things. And then they all, so, so that's one thing we do in the meetings. And then the second thing is we have, my team is largely virtual. Um, and so they get, they're on a Zoom working right now. So it's like they're in the same office space, even though they're yeah. all in their respective homes. Yeah, it's like, a, so co- they're, like they're, a co-working session. Yeah, like a co-working. Yeah. So they, they when they have a quick question or they just need, they can talk with other members of the team just the same as if they all walked to the water cooler together and had a quick break. So that really helps and makes a difference too. And then the other thing that we do on our weekly team meeting is we, we share what's going on in our lives so that we're not just about our businesses because that also, the more vulnerable and transparent you're willing to be, the more you build up trust amongst those Mm -hmm. that you spend time and work with. So those are the, some of the things that we do. I love all those. Have you ever had a client or like multiple clients who, you know, you're training them to operate this way in their business. And let's just say they're like super visionary because lots of times visionaries, like, it sounds like you also do have the ability to be a good operator, even though you shouldn't be the operator in your own company. Right. But you do have that ability as well. Oh, right. And and we all used to be the operator. I mean, (laughs) When this thing first started, it was just me. I was every department. (laughs) Exactly. Have you ever had clients that you're you're training to to build their team this way, build their business in this way, and they're just like fighting against you that they do not have these traits, these skills, these characteristics? How do you how do you guide and mentor that that particular client? Yeah. So for me, the so yes, absolutely, it happens. Um, I think the first thing is to let them be heard acknowledge what they're saying. Because I think sometimes what we want to do as coaches, as consultants, is we just want to pour into them. No, you can do it. And and that's not the wrong answer. But first, there needs to be an acknowledgement of how they feel. And Mm -hmm. even though this is something I learned for sales, I use it in just general coaching clients, the feel, felt, found method. It's great for overcoming objections, but it works when you're just trying to help a person see who they really are. Because the gift that we have Often the gift that I know I absolutely have is I can see my clients at their vision point where they desire to be and not just where they are right now. And so I'm able to transfer that belief back into them. So the first is just to acknowledge what they said. You know what, Megan, I can definitely understand and appreciate that that is the way that you're feeling right now. There was a time when I felt the same exact way. Do you mind if I share a quick story about how I felt when I was in your same exact position and some of the things that I began to do to to make a difference? Because now we're on a common ground. It's not coach or mentor and mentee. It's not like I'm above them, they're beneath me. Like I'm talking down to them and I'm finger pointed out, you better, you better, you better. No, now we're on a level playing field. I'm I'm showing you that you matter and that I heard you when you shared this feeling of inadequacy with me. Because when we feel inadequate, it's coming from another place. It's coming from some story from, you know, I always say that most of us, 
our inner seven-year-old is running our business. So let me just quickly cyborg and explain what I mean by that. When we're born, we're only born with a subconscious mind. Our conscious mind is formed based on what we take in from birth to the age of seven. Everything that we learn, everything that we are taught and everything that we have caught between birth and the age of seven is who we grow up to be unless we learn how to to disrupt those patterns. And so most of us are still in one of those seven-year-old stories. We're still living that. We're 40-whatever. But our inner seven-year-olds front and present because we feel insecure and we feel inadequate in this moment. We're questioning if we're worthy and if we are enough. And all we can remember is whatever we were taught about that feeling as we were a child. Like we see it in men a lot, right? Men are taught not to cry and show emotion. And so when they're feeling emotion, they don't have a place to put those feelings and it comes out in inadequacy and it impacts everything, right? The little boy who's really a CEO. Anyway, so acknowledgement feeling first. and then. I give them permission to express what it would look like if they could try it. Like if you could start this, what would be something you would be comfortable doing that will help you to feel safe and secure as you move in the direction of the ultimate goal? Mm. And just by doing that, it clicks into them that they can do it gradually and it doesn't have to be a quick because when we're the coach or the mentor and we're saying it to them, we want it to happen yesterday because we know that as soon as it happens, the result starts to come into view, but yep. we have to give them permission to stair step that thing and to take the time. I call it the, um, mostly I call it the confidence curve. Mm-hmm. Like we know where you should be. We also know where you are now. So through our coaching, we're going to get you to the next level, knowing that you still need to be here. And we're going to hold you at this standard until your confidence is high enough for you to take the next step, the next step. And then eventually your confidence is going to bump up with what it is that your vision really is. And now we're on the same page, but we're going to support you through the curve that entire time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like holding on to the vision. You can see it three or five or 10 years out there and not looking too far ahead in the present. Yes. Right, like chunk it down. I know I have a client doing something just for 30 days, and she's like, But I want to like focus on all these things over here. And I'm like, No, we just need you doing this one thing for the next 30 days because of what it's going to reveal to you mm-hmm. and who you're going to become in the next 30 days, which is going to set you up to do the next thing that's actually going to get you to the vision. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but that's so true. I mean, those of us that are coaches and consultants and mentors, you can see the end, you can see all the way to the end, and you can literally see like all the steps they have to take. but you know, you've got to kind of slow it down for them. Absolutely. Because most yeah. of us, we're just, we don't have the capacity. Like the the big dream and vision scares us. And that's why we haven't gotten there yet. That's why we play small because small is much more comfortable. It's safe, mm-hmm. right? Nothing about who we are is called into question when we're playing small. But in order to really realize the dream that we have and the vision, whether we, you know, we think we came up with that vision completely on our own or not, To realize that is actually going to take a lot of support. Mm -hmm. And as coaches, consultants, mentors, we also need to be prepared to build that support into the process. And it's often that emotional and mindset support that they need. Like more often than not, I'm not necessarily coaching clients on a new strategy. I'm holding space for them. To, to live into, to lean into, to step into the vision and the personal belief that they can actually accomplish it. That's mm-hmm. how my time is spent more often than not. I'd love to be able to just get out my whiteboard and whip up a strategy real quick. And if I did that, they would be great, but they wouldn't actually implement it. Mm-hmm. They need all of this other support over here. And, and it's it's a delicate dance. Like I remember when I first started 
I was like, oh, I love strategy. I just want to get everyone to the million dollar mark. And I was putting out the system, still frame framework we still teach from today, but almost no one was making millions is because I didn't have enough support in there for, for that success mindset piece and everything that yeah. goes along with that. And by putting that in the center of our framework, now we see we're turning out millionaires like, you know, like left and right. And so it's just, it makes a difference how you, you're come from and what you even understand. And I think the other thing that's important that has been really, really helpful for me is remembering when I was at the same stage they're at so that I can appeal to them from that place. Like I, it's not theory. I'm not making it up as I go. Like I literally was there walking a mile in the shoes that you're trying on right now. Mm-hmm. And this is what worked for me. And this is what I know will work for you. And then giving them permission to try it for 10 days or 30 days for a small container of time to build up the confidence around it before they take the next step. Yeah. I think for a lot of people who are business coaches and teaching business, we do want to jump straight to the strategy. I know when I was running large scale group programs, that's all I wanted to do. I was like, that's what I'm good at. That's what I'm skilled yep. at. That's why I'm here. I can see the whole thing. I can do it in my sleep. And I'm someone who hasn't always loved doing like the mindset kind of work. I actually like brought somebody else in to do that work when I had larger group programs. And I'm curious to hear from you because I'm sure you identified that. When you made that flip and you went from like your clients like struggling to get to a million and now they're getting to a million, like you're producing millionaires like every single day of the week. What were the most common behavioral or thought patterns that you saw in your clients? Because there aren't that many. It's not like there's like a million different patterns that us humans have. There's like a few. What were the most common ones that you are the most common ones that you do currently see with your clients? Yeah. I mean, there's probably two that resonate the most deeply right now. And the first was, you know, the fear of success or failure, right? Am I going to get here and am I going to lose something because I got here? Are people going to look at me differently? Am I going to not be loved anymore because I made it to this milestone, especially for our married clients? If she already earns more and she's endeavoring to go to the million dollar market on top of that, how is he going to still look like, how is that relationship dynamic still going to work when she Mm -hmm. earns more? Right. And, and the fear, I, I mean, I have, three clients that just popped into my head right now that I'm thinking that is their struggle. That is their dance. Mm-hmm. And so they are holding back in order to salvage yep. the way that their husband is going to see themselves as a result of them going to the next level. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's probably the biggest one. And that's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We're all looking for a place to belong. We want to know that we matter and that there's someone there who's going to love us. So that's absolutely unequivocally the biggest one. And then the second one that I have is I would say the responsibility of it all, the fear of the responsibility. Like I'm going to get here and now I'm going to pay more taxes. Well, not necessarily. It depends on who you got on your financial management team. Right. Yep. You know what I mean? Or all my cousins are going to come out of the woodwork. No, you you know all your cousins right now. Like, but that that sense of responsibility and obligation that goes along with earning at that level. And, and sometimes it's as simple, Megan, as just making sure that they understand that no is a complete sentence. And you don't have to give to anyone that you don't want to, right? Or or any of the other things that they tell themselves. And then if there were a third one, I mean, the first one, that fear of success, abandonment is kind of running rampant. And then, um, but if there were a third one, I think the third one would just be that inner belief. Like, I know I hold this vision, but do I really believe I can make it happen? Mm-hmm. Do I really think I have what it takes? And am I willing to do the work, right? Because the adage is you can have, you can have it all if you're willing to do the work. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're not willing to do the work, whether that means losing that last 20 pounds, right? If you don't want to go to the to the gym and, and not eat sugar, you might not be willing to do what it takes to lose the last 20 and you might be okay with that, right? And, and similarly inside of the business, but that that inner questioning, which again, takes us back from birth to the age of seven, how often we were taught that we weren't worthy or we didn't deserve it. And depending upon how we were raised, especially if we were raised religiously, you know, there's a lot of constructs inside of religion that says you're not worthy. Mm-hmm. I have to challenge because Genesis 1 and 26 said we were made in his image and likeness. Mm-hmm. How can I not be worthy if I was made in God's image and likeness? But that's not what we're taught in church. We're still right. taught. Like I remember being taught to pray, I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, I'm like, that makes no sense to me. Why was I taught that? And I will not take us down the diatribe and turn this into a whole nother podcast episode. But those are the things that we often contend with and what we see when we're helping people elevate and get to their next level. Because we can see it. Like the moment I look at a person, I can see the the millions that are theirs. Mm -hmm. I can see the direct path for them to get there. And a lot of the time is spent shaping their own belief and transferring my confidence to them so that they can hold space for themselves because I'm initially holding that space for them. And so um, those are probably the, the three biggest beliefs. Yeah. That I, see. I think everybody listening would agree with that. They see that in themselves. Number one, we oh, all yeah. see those things in ourselves at different stages and phases, and then they see it in their clients as well. Those Absolutely. are so common. So I imagine that people are like on the edge of their seat to find out like, when's your book coming out? Tell me more about it. How can I get in touch with you? I think you host live events too. So I would love for you to share that. And also just a little bit of vision casting. Like what is your vision for the future look like? Absolutely. So first the book comes out November 7th, but it is available on pre-sale right now. So if you go to move to millionsbook.com, move to millionsbook.com, that will get you to the Amazon link where you can pre-order the book. It's on Target. It's on all the places. It's already ready. I'm so excited. Just learned that at the time of this recording today. Oh, yes. Just literally just so, learned that. Um, I'm going to go get my copy today. Yes. I'm so excited. And then um, my live event is called Move to Million. So it's the the home. It's a, it's a family reunion for million-dollar CEOs and million-dollar CEOs in the making. It's a three-day experience where we help you to plan, prepare, and position your company to make, move, and leave million. So it's highly experiential. It is um, also have, it's clear strategy. You walk away with your million dollar business blueprint. So you know exactly what it's going to take for you to get your business to the million dollar mark and everything that you need to learn based on our framework, the move to millions method. And then how can you find me online? You can go to drdarnielle.com, drdarnielle.com. I love it, Darnielle. This was a, such a amazing conversation. It was. So rich. Yeah. I loved it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. We've got all that information in the show notes. So go ahead and order your copy of Darnielle's book right now. I know I'm going to go pre-order it today. Yes. Thank you so much, Darnielle. So excited thank for you what so you're much building. For having me. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for tuning into the Built to Last show. If you're loving the show and have gotten any value out of it for your business and life, would you mind doing two things? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Our listener reviews helps us get more visibility and reach more people just like you. Help us make a difference for more entrepreneurs by helping them grow their businesses in a way that aligns with their life, family, and core values. 
Thank you so much for being part of our community and tuning into the show each week.